Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome again to Daily Daf Differently. Welcome back. I should welcome myself back. This is Jeremy Kalmanowski. I've been away from this project for a number of months and I'm glad to return. And we're studying Tractate Givamot, page 19. If you've been with us now uh, for the few first weeks of this tractate, you know that the law, that the mitzvah in question, the subject of our tractate, is Yibum, or Leverite marriage. Very strange to the modern ear to hear that a childless widow would be uh, expected to marry her brother-in-law. It's clear, I think, from the Torah and from the rabbi's approach that what's being considered here is uh, an act of kindness and chesed for this childless widow who's in economically bad straits. The brother-in-law, the biological brother, according to the rabbis, it has to be at least a paternal half-brother or a full brother, not a maternal brother. Although if you read the story in the book of Ruth or the book of Genesis, it appears that in ancient Israel, uh, this mitzvah may have applied to any clansman, not just a, a biological brother, but the sages think of it as a biological paternal brother, uh, would, would marry her to help her out because, because she was in such trouble and to enable her to have a child, which was, of course, economic stability. But, as you know, if you've been with us through the tractate, uh, if for some extrinsic reason, because the woman is related to the, one of the brothers, uh, or any of the dead man's wives were related to any of the potential brothers, uh, any potential brother-in-law marriages, then they're all exempt from this mitzvah. And one of those categories of, of exemptions is our subject here today, Achiv Shalom Hayah Be'olamo, a brother who was not contemporaneous with the dead man. It might seem a little odd to think of brothers not being contemporaneous, but given the age spans of people's lives and how early they married, it's really not so absurd to think that a man in his, uh, let's say, 40 years old would have both a, a one child who was not only of marriageable age but then died young at, at 18 or 20 years old, and then in a subsequent marriage still have a baby. And the tragedy would imagine, the, the, the compounding of the tragedy would be that not only is this widow childless, but she also is now dependent upon the, the, the baby to grow up and marry her. So if the brothers did not overlap in life, then, uh, then she's totally exempt. Not only she's exempt, but all of the other wives of the original man are also exempt. Most of our page today is taken up with a dispute between Rabbi Shimon and the sages, or the, the anonymous position of, of the rabbinic majority here. The, the rabbis, the sages, take a, a fairly broad construction of this and exempt a larger number of people. Um, certainly, if uh, let's call the brothers Ruvain, Shimon, and Levi, as per the construction. Ruvain is the original married, married man. Uh, he dies. Little brother Levi is now born in between death of Ruvain and before middle brother Shimon is willing to or is able to do the Levite marriage. In that case, this woman, we'll call her Sarah, is exempt, and all of her co-wives are exempt. Uh, and not only is that true, 
but the sages, as far as they're concerned, that even if middle brother Shimon pulls off the Leverite marriage, and then he dies, and, and Levi is born in the interim, little baby Levi is born in the interim, even here too, because Levi didn't exist in the overlap with the original brother Reuven, uh, uh, all of the Betzeroff and, and this woman and all of her co-wives are free from Leverite marriage. They are disputed by Rabbi Shimon, and most of our page today is taken uh, up in typical Talmudic fashion with trying to figure out exactly the scope of the disagreement between, uh, between Rabbi Shimon and the rest of the sages, and we'll ultimately conclude that, that Rabbi Shimon's position agrees in the first case that if, that if uh, little baby Levi is born before middle brother Shimon ever pulls off the Leverite marriage, then the woman is really is really free from from any of this, um, but disagrees with the sages about what happens if middle brother Shimon does pull off the Levite marriage and exactly exactly what constitutes that marriage. Um, it's clear in the Bible text that sexual intercourse is what establishes the marriage, and the rabbis understand that what establishes the Levite marriage. And the rabbis understand that that is the oraita by Torah legislation, the creation of a Leverite marriage, that, that, the, that the brother-in-law does have sex with his former sister-in-law, the widowed sister-in-law. And that's what really creates it. But there's a different stage called ma'amar, uh, which is a declaration of intent, a kind of a ritualized declaration of intent. And the Rabbi Shimon is, uh, is in doubt as to the effectivity of that ma'amar, does that really create the marriage, uh, or is it a sort of a, a of an extra deal? In the course of all this, which which I have to say is really kind of it's hardcore gemara. It's really kind of difficult sometimes to follow exactly the argument. You have to make charts. You can't really study this material on Shabbat when you shouldn't write down these things. You have to study the weekday when you can make a chart to figure out <laughs> with a, with a pen and paper to figure out uh, exactly whose status is is what. But in the course of this. There is a text uh, that whose whose language is regarded as a little notable or a little unusual, and the the uh, rabbinic interpretation of that text raises what I think is an interesting idea, or what I hope our our daily daf dif differently listeners will find is an interesting idea. The text ex itself is pretty much identical to the version in the Tosefta, the collection of Mishnaic era teachings uh, of chapter two for Yevamot. It goes like this. Shnei achim ba'olam echad, two contemporaneous brothers, umet echad mihem, one of whom dies, below valad, no children, ve'amad hasheni hazeh, la'asot ma'amar bi'yivamto. And so the second one, let's call him again, middle brother Shimon, uh, gets ready to do the ma'amar, the ritual declaration that he's planning on marrying his sister-in-law, velo he speak la'asot ma'amar, and he doesn't actually, he's getting ready to do it, but he doesn't do it, ad shenolad lo ach until little baby brother Levi is born. Now Shimon met, now he dies, Harishona Yotzet Mishum Eshet Achiv Shelohaya Beolamo. The woman, we'll call her Sarah, she is now free from any of this because she had a non-contemporaneous brother-in-law, a brother-in-law not contemporaneous with her husband Ruben. Ushnia and Shimon, middle brother Shimon's own wife, we'll call her Rivka, Ocholetzet Omit Yabemet. She can either she can either do chalitza, the, the ritual released from this obligation with baby boy Levi, or she can wait until he's old enough and get married. Now, the part that, that uh, attracts the rabbi's attention is, what does this mean? Lo he speak, amad la sot ma'amar, velo he speak la sot ma'amar. He, 
He intends to do the ritual component, but doesn't manage to pull it off. Well, so what does that refer to? Uh, on, on the B side of our page, about almost exactly in the middle of the page, it says, Amar Mar, the Master said, which really is just the beginning of a quote, and it, and it relates the text as I just said to said a minute ago. Uh, and then the Talmud asks, My Ahmad um my lo he speak. What do you mean he intended to do it, or he stood to do it, and what do you mean he didn't pull it off? He avad avad. If he did it, he did it. He lo avad lo avad. If he didn't do it, he didn't do it. Uh, what what can this mean? He he was about to do it and didn't pull it off. And the answer we give here is Ella amad mida'ata v'lo he speak mida'ata, which the Talmud understands. What they mean by that is that he wanted to do the ma'amar with her consent. He wanted to do the ritual declaration with her consent, and he didn't win her consent. Ella ba'al korcha. He said it, and she didn't accept. And that prompts us into a discussion uh, between Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi and the consensus of the sages over whether or not Levitical, uh, Leverite marriage can take place over and against the woman's consent without her consent. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi says yes. Uh, she doesn't have to consent to this. It's a Torah mitzvah. It's for her own benefit. She doesn't accept it. Doesn't matter. Uh, it, I'm going to now report a very ugly idea here in the Talmud that because via the Torah... It is sexual intercourse that creates this Leverite marriage, even against her will, even in a what must be called a kind of a rape situation, or at least a non-consensual situation. If that physical act happens, Leverite marriage has been contracted, according to Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. Um, the consensus of the sages, however, disagree, and they say this is like any other marriage, which is invalid without the consent of the female partner as well. And the sages extrapolate from regular marriage to, to Leverite marriage that both require the consent of the woman. We oftentimes think, and clearly it's true, ancient Israel didn't have anything like what we would regard as feminist sensibilities about women's consent, but it is true that, unlike Rabbi Yehuda Anasi, uh, the sages believe that to do this, to do this action, even though it is for the woman's benefit, economic benefit and social benefit, uh, it does require her consent. All right, thanks for learning today's page with me, and I look forward to learning with you again tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Chorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.